We're good? Excellent. Thank you, Josh. Don't want to lose that mic. Thank you, Josh, for reading that this morning. Now, if you're an observant bunch, you'll have realized that over the last, I don't know, two, three months, we've been going through a bunch of re-series. We uh, started with reconnecting to our faith, to our community, to life groups. And then we moved on to remembering, remembering God's faithfulness uh, throughout the many years of Brian and Glenda's ministry. And then uh, last week was rejoice, thanksgiving, in God's faithfulness. And upon pastors Fred and Carolyn's return, they'll be continuing this trend with a reimagined series and a rediscover Christmas series. And so while I would love to continue this trend over the next couple weeks, I feel as though Brian and Glenda have left me so few rewords that I'm just going to completely abandon the whole trend. And so Jacob and I, Jacob's preaching next week, came up with very generic sermon titles. Mine is The Word, and his is The Faith. <laughs> and so as we looked ahead to the week's that we'd be preaching, we googled the liturgical calendar, which part of scripture lines up with these third and fourth Sundays of October, and in doing so, we were directed to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to chapter 4, verse 2, which Josh read this morning. And so to give some context to this uh, letter, this is a letter from Paul writing to his mentee, Timothy. Now, Paul is in prison at the time, and although he's been in prison before, he's kind of sensing, you know what, this is probably it. I'm probably not going to get out of here, and so I'm going to write this letter to Timothy as just a last word of encouragement. You know what, I, just, I need you to take this, these are my kind of dying words. And so we pick up today at the end of this letter, where Paul is drawing his letter to a close and is offering a solution to the challenges he sees going to be in Timothy's life. So in the two preceding verses, in verses 12 and 13, we get kind of the Cole's notes of the letter. And so if you look with me at 2 Timothy 3, verse 12 to 13, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And I like particularly how the New Living Translation translates uh, verse 13. It says this, But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. So Paul's saying in this whole letter, leading up to our verse for today, Timothy, in living a godly life, in taking on this mantle of Christian leadership I'm giving to you, you're going to face persecution. He's saying, Timothy, there's going to be other people preaching their so-and-so gospel message. And you know what? It's going to seem as though they have better success. And it's going to cause you to doubt what you believe. But Timothy, Paul says, keep the faith. Keep the faith that I have taught you. And so while this warning message is one for Timothy, it would appear that many of the obstacles that Timothy faced are similar challenges that we face in 21st century life. 
We may not face the same physical persecution that Paul being in prison faced, or Timothy, but we do have deterrents that slowly push us away to abandon our faith in one way or another. As North Americans, we live in a postmodern individualistic world, and whether consciously or subconsciously, we're communicated on a daily basis that your truth is the truth. Each of us can go online, uh, find a Facebook post, an advertisement, or any number of different articles which would tell you that this is the way to find happiness. This is a way to find contentment or fulfillment in life. And whether we think about it or not, whether we're consciously aware of it, these ideas start to impact our everyday thinking and our everyday living. So we think, yes, 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 I'm a Christian, but this idea over here, the way they're doing life seems pretty compelling. Maybe I'll add a little bit of that into my life. Or I've seen the success of this person's uh, you know, root and their, their path, and so I'm going to take a little bit of that and add that into my worldview, my paradigm. And then even within the church today, within congregations, we can find a number of espoused beliefs about theology, lifestyle decisions, rightness or wrongness of an action. But as Paul makes really clear to Timothy, and what Paul is communicating still to us today through his word, is that while the world says your way is the way, Paul echoes Jesus' words from John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Paul's invitation to Timothy, leading up to our, our verses that we're in today, is to keep the faith. Remain steadfast in what I have taught you. But the question is, well, how do we do that? In a frenzied world such as ours, how do we discern God's will and God's truths? And here, upon setting the table, Paul presents us the solution in chapter 3, verse 14. Pull it open with, with me on your Bible, or look with me on the screen. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We, like Timothy, are called back to God's word time and time again. The word is the one true source and the one fixed point in an ever-changing, ever-moving world. Now, how many of you have experienced motion sickness or seasickness before? Raise of hands. Brendan, raise your hand. I've heard the story of you deep-sea fishing that one time. Never again, apparently. So a number of years ago, Jacob and I were out fishing on the west coast of Canada with our dads. And as you can see, one of us had greater success than the other. <laughs> but you see, 
it was a pretty slow fishing trip. There weren't a lot of bites happening. And so our dads decided to take us offshore. Uh, so we're talking like next, next stop Japan, offshore West Coast fishing. And so I've never, I've never been seasick. But the problem is when you're trolling for fish, you're just driving in big circles over and over and over again, hoping that the salmon bites your line. But when you're offshore, not only are you dealing with the constant circles, but you're dealing with the unsteady and relentless swells that go back and forth, back and forth. So I could tell, however, I wasn't the only one feeling sick that day because Jacob, Jacob was on the boat with me, and he had his eyes bulged, staring at the shore as we're doing loops, trying to keep himself from being sick. Because my dad's instruction for anybody who gets on his boat is if you're feeling seasick, find a point of reference and it'll calm your stomach. It gives you perspective with what's going on. And so here Jacob and I are locked into an unspoken battle, neither of us wanting to be the weak one to give in. But thankfully, neither of us are very good actors because our dads quickly realized about five minutes in that between the lack of conversation, no longer snacking on the chips, and the green hue on our face, that neither of us were really dealing well with the swells. And so they drove us back into calmer waters. But for both of us, for both Jacob and I, we were fixing our eyes fervently on the, sh on the shore to try to give us perspective. And that island, that fixed point, is what the Word of God can and should be for each of us. The God of our lives has chosen to reveal himself, his love, his justice, not merely through personal experiences or individual testimonies, but primarily in and through the unwavering and steadfast text that has not and will not change. For hundreds upon hundreds of years, Christians have gone back to this same source to find their truth and to learn about who their God is. And while the words themselves have remained the same, Paul writes in another letter in Hebrews 4 verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God has chosen, the way God has chosen to reveal himself is through his word. In fact, this is how Jesus Christ himself made himself known to his disciples in John chapter 5. He says, yes, I'm showing you these signs and miracles, but beyond that, look at the text. Look at what your, your ancestors foretold of who I am. I am fulfilling what your word shares about who this Messiah will be. For Timothy in his day and each of us today, if we're looking for answers... If we're looking, questioning who God is, what his will is for our lives, we're told simply to turn to his word. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for preaching, teaching, correcting, rebuking, 
and training in righteousness. Teaching and training, allowed, allowing God to reveal his best way for us, but so too rebuking and correcting to bring us back in line with the will of our Father. All scripture holds the truth of who God is and who he has made us to be. So in returning once again to the challenges we face in 21st century life, we need to understand the way the world derives their truth is going to be very different than the way that we as believers, as those who put our hope in Jesus Christ, define truth. So in a world such as ours, we often find the rightness and wrongness of any one activity based on the emotions and the experience we associate with any given action. If it feels right, we do it. Uh, that's why even at the expense of the workers in third world countries, at least our buying habits say that fast fashion and retail therapy are good. It feels good, even though there's something inherently wrong about it. That's why at the cost of objectifying men and women and dishonoring our partners, the world says that watching porn is actually a healthy thing to do. It's a good thing. Instead of looking for a standalone source to define what is true, what is right or wrong, the world has come up with its own formula that looks something like this. It goes, in my life, I have felt experienced or saw blank, therefore X, Y, or Z must be true. But the problem with this emotion or experience-based truth-making is that it's unsteady and oftentimes self-contradicting. Each one of us can have very different responses and very different truths based on our experience with a particular situation. Within each of our lives, even our tastes, our behaviors have changed since we were younger to what we are now. And so figuring out what to believe, how to respond in circumstances becomes really difficult when the goalpost, when our idea of what it is, keeps changing and keeps um, switching on a dime. So returning again to the analogy of moving, uh, the moving boat, if Jacob or I had fixed our eyes on the floor of the boat which oftentimes you're drawn to, I need to hurl over and figure it out, we would have tasted our hard-boiled eggs and oatmeal we'd eaten just moments before. There would have been no fixed point, no way to orient ourselves with everything that's going on around us. And then it becomes really difficult then when we're, we're trying to counsel people, when we're trying to provide advice to people, or help them navigate through the situation when the only response we give to them, well, what, what feels good? What, what kind of, what's your gut telling you that you should do? We can't really speak into anybody's life if that's the case. And we're really unable to be the collective body of believers that we're called to be. We're called to spur one another on towards a goal. And without a true source, where is the goal? Where is the point we're heading? And ultimately... Whether you see there's anything wrong with responding based on emotions or experiences, there, re there remains a fundamental disconnect between this relativist worldview and Jesus' own words. I am the way, he says. I am the truth. I am the life. Paul says there is one faith, one hope, 
in one truth. And as believers, as those who put our faith in Jesus Christ, we believe that God has, since the beginning of time, had a plan to redeem all of his fallen creation. That he has intended to bring humanity back into right relationship with him. And therefore, if we embrace this as truth, we also believe that God's truth reveals a best plan and a best purpose for our lives. So Paul's answer to Timothy and his invitation for us today is to remain fixed in the word. And the beautiful thing is that in the midst of all the confusion, in the midst of our thoughts, our emotions, our feelings, even if we doubt God, doubt his character, how could you act? That's not fair. We can bring everything back to the word, and it is sufficient. It can hold up to the test, and it will time and time again reveal to us who God is. It can be our source of peace, a source of refuge. It can be our wise counsel, pointing us back to the author of our lives and the creator. But when we say scripture is our fixed point, what do we mean? There's an imperative portion of the scripture that we need to acknowledge and that we can't gloss over. Paul says here in this text, all scripture is God-breathed. Not some parts, not just the convenient parts. Unless we hold fast the word of God as the authority in our life, we end up back in the same position that the world is telling us to do. If I like this verse here, but I'd rather not look at those verses, or if I really, oh, this, this is a good book, but I don't know if this part will offend anybody, we end up falling back into the same relativist trap, and it's no longer God's word that we're reading, but it's rather our own words that we're co-opting and we're taking away from the page. It's no longer Jesus' gospel, but it's the gospel I see fit. So Paul's invitation to Timothy and to each of us today is therefore read it. Read all of it. The Old Testament, New Testament, the Gospels, the Psalms. Read all of God's word. Because there is such richness in knowing who God is. He has revealed himself through the entirety of the scripture. All scripture is God-breathed. The final two verses from today's reading comes from chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Read with me. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in and and out of its season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instructions. Preach the word. Share this hope that we have. But as Paul says, it's not going to be convenient. It's not always going to be easy to preach the word, whether in or out of season. Whether the word jibes with our emotions or our feelings, or whether it conflicts with the world's thoughts, we're called to preach the word. 
And so we shouldn't be surprised when the world around us comes to very different conclusions in how they see best fit to live their lives. Paul's invitation is the invitation to open this gospel message. It's a, it's a gospel message for all of us. Invite others to experience the freedom we are given when we submit our lives to Jesus as Lord. When we accept his grace and forgiveness, when we put down our own desires, submitting ourselves to God's, we're given this incredible freedom from shame and guilt. And we're invited to live into a purposeful life. In and out of season, preach the word. But to preach it, we need to know it. The truth is only found in and through God's word. One of the things that I found most beautiful with this letter that Paul wrote is right at the very beginning. So to close, look with me at chapter 1, verses 5, or just verse 5. I, Paul, am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So this is what he's alluding to later in the chapter in our reading for today, where he says, From infancy who have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Each of us is invited to be that holy influence. Each of us is invited to be the influence of a lowest or a Eunice in Timothy's life, a Paul in Timothy's life. And it's not complicated. Being this holy influence isn't difficult. Instead, all we're invited to do is simply just open this word, to read it, speak the truths out, because God has already made the truth known. We're not discovering anything new. It's already been revealed. In preparing for this sermon... I was encouraged by this reminder of the holy influences in my life that have modeled this reverence for God's word. Whether it was convenience or not, whether I was late for hockey practice or band rehearsal, my parents instilled within me and my siblings that the most important thing we do after our meals was to read the word and at the time, let me tell you, I was quite frustrated. God, I'm really late for hockey practice. But no, the word comes first. I'm so encouraged by a peer, my friend Ryan. Ryan texts me every week, once or twice, just one line, how's your reading going? He's a holy influence in my life in pointing me back to the word, to be digging in, to be rooting myself in the unwavering source of truth. So it's an invitation all of us are invited to partake in. Each of us, no matter where we are in our faith journey, whether you're walking in here for the very first time, no matter whether our education or our status, all of us, inclusive of everybody, can go to the Word. Each of us can be a holy influence by saying, hey, I'm not sure the answer, but I know where to turn.
Paul's invitation to Timothy and his invitation to us today is very simple. Allow the word to do its role, being the source of truth in our lives and to be the fixed point where we look to, where we turn to in a disorienting and an ever-changing world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pause and just offer a thank you. Thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself in such a way that each of us can turn to your word and see the truth. That each of us, in spite of all that's going on in our lives, has a fixed point of reference to turn to that we can be confident in that has not and will not change. And we thank you, Father, that your spirit is faithful to reveal himself, to speak to us when we open your word. And so, Father, our prayer today is that we would be spurred towards reading your word, that we would be that holy influence in the lives of our families, in the lives of our friends, pointing one another to the word, to the source of truth. Amen.